Praise the Lord, everyone. While you're standing, if you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, I will begin reading in verse 38. Uh, We have been doing a series on the book of Acts and its effect on the church this summer, and so I will try to continue that. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word and were baptized. And in the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and good, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And for a little while tonight, I want to talk to you about the importance of fellowship. Verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking bread and in prayers. Lord bless you, may be seated. Communication has been a problem that has plagued human beings since the garden. It's quite obvious that Adam and Eve had a problem communicating. They had a problem. It's very obvious they had a problem communicating in the garden. I'm not sure what actually happened there, but it would just appear by reading the details that Adam and Eve didn't really get along. And the only reason people don't get along is they quit communicating. Now, my wife and I have been married 45 years, uh, 46, August the 4th. I remember that day. And I can tell you that in the 45 plus years that we have been married, there have been a few times that she irritated me. Not many, but a few. Probably count them on one hand. But never to the point that I wanted God to take her. Never to the point I wanted to say, God, just get out of my life. But that's what Adam did. Adam stood and witnessed and watched and listened as a conversation started and developed between Eve and Satan. He did nothing to interrupt. He did nothing to intervene. He just stood and watched. He listened to this conversation. As it continued, he never did anything to stop it. He never stopped Eve in the middle of her statements and said, wait a minute, honey, you, you got that a little bit wrong. Because Eve's version of God's commandment wasn't the same version God gave Adam. See, Eve's version had an addendum to it that God's version didn't have. So God's version simply said of the tree in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat of it. That's God's version. 
Eve's version was of the tree of the midst of the garden. Thou shalt not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. But God said nothing about touching. God didn't tell Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, God told Adam to keep the garden clean. That was his job. You dress the garden. It's your responsibility to keep it picked up. So when the dead fruit fell off the tree, he didn't want it laying there rotting. He, he was to pick it up and move it and, and, and take it to a place so that the garden was not affected by fruit as it decayed. So he had the job of supposed to dress the garden, but in conveying a message somehow to his wife, he apparently thought it necessary to add to what God had said. Now, I don't know why one of my friends believes that she had a curiosity that that he saw that would get her in trouble. And so to keep her from getting in trouble because she kept getting too close to the tree, he said, you know, we can't even touch that fruit. God don't want us eating it, neither does he want us touching it. Now, Satan knew that the inroad into their life was through that last statement. If he could ever get her to pick the fruit up in her hand, taking a bite would never be a problem. Because in her mind, she's convinced If I touch it, I die. Not if I eat it, I die. So all I, death's gonna happen. Put it in my hand, and once it's in my hands, death's gonna happen. Now Adam didn't stop that conversation. He didn't say, wait a minute, Eve, um, there's, there's, you know, I told you don't touch it. That's not what God really said. He just stood and watched. As a result, Communication between humans has become incredibly difficult with time. Today, in our world, it is probably the number one problem that exists in our world. is humans being able to communicate with other humans what their desires are. We, we've learned to listen and not listen. Let me give you an illustration. I can prove it real quick that we don't listen. If I was coming to your house to visit you, and in the process of trying to find your home, I get lost. Now, I'm a male, and males will never admit they're lost in a matter of of a short period of time. It takes a long period of time. So maybe after 30 or 40 minutes of trying to find your house and in frustration, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to say, I'm lost. I need directions to your house. So what's the first thing you say back to me? Well, if I knew that, I wouldn't be calling. See, we've let our world teach us to not listen. And we don't hear what's being said. Fellowship, the word that's used here, the Greek word has a prefix, koinos, and koinos means to add to or, or basically to support or it's an addition to. So you, you can add it to words and get other words because it's primarily used as a prefix. And when it's used here, it has multiple meanings that, that can be used to define this word. But it's adding something to something. That's fellowship. The reason God created Eve in the garden was because Adam was alone. Loneliness was the reason for Eve's creation. God looked at Adam, saw Adam was alone, and created him a companion who was the answer to his problem, not his problem. But she became the problem. Now, when God created Adam, Adam was complete. When God took ribs, that's plural, by the way. He didn't take a rib out of Adam's side. He took two ribs, at least. It's plural. He took ribs out of Adam's side, closed up the wound, the flesh thereof, the Scripture says. 
and creates Eve. Now, the part of Adam that became Eve, Adam don't have anymore. And the part God took out of Adam was the ability to create or to reproduce. So out of Adam is taken the ability to have children, and it only resides in the female. And as a result, she has abilities that males don't have. There are very few males that have ever won an argument with a woman. That's just a fact. We don't have those kind of communication skills. We're, we're, we're our, our nature is to provide and not gentle. We're not kind. You know, our, our, our nature is to provide and protect. Well, that means kill and eat. So every problem that's around, you just kill it and you have supper. And so you, you don't try to reason problems out or rationalize. I, I, I'll show you once, twice, three, after that, forget it. I'll just do it myself because if you're not going to listen, go to school and find out how many males are there that are school teachers. Males are not good teachers. That's a fact. We don't have that ability. That part was taken out of Adam. Now Adam's incomplete. Now he is required to have a wife so that he can now be complete. And that's where the idea of fellowship started. That's where the foundation of the word comes from. It's when two people connect because there is something common in both that each other needs and one balances the other, the other balances the other. And when you get them in harmony, then you can have true fellowship. So the word can actually refer to a marriage relationship and the the, the physical aspect of a marriage relationship. That can be considered fellowship. But when you get to the church, it's, there's multiple statements about fellowship. Paul said that, that through Christ's suffering or, or his greatest desire was to have a fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. We are in fellowship, pardon me, with Christ. And then we are part of Christ. But then there's another aspect of fellowship that implies it's more than a conversation. It's more than talk. It's not telling people how to live, but it's practicing what you preach. Now, I I just read a news article this afternoon that really caused me to start going back and thinking about this passage of Scripture. And and, and it's supposedly a wealthy man. And by standards, he's, he's wealthy. He's got millions of dollars. And in his statement, he says, you know, how, how many, how many vacations do you need? How many trips do you need? And, and, and there's, there's, there's a point where you don't need stuff. And so there, there needs to be this common, uh, value to all men or common pay or salary for every man. And, and as I read that, I, I, the first thought went through my mind is, you know, you're, you're preaching a sermon, but I'm not seeing you do one thing about what you're preaching. If that's what you believe, then give all your money away. It's more than just saying things. See, we come to church and we, we have fellowship because we believe the same thing. But fellowship is just more than having a common belief system. It's putting that common belief system into practice. Jesus said on multiple occasions, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. It's not what I hear that changes my life. What I do starts changing my life. It has to become more than words. It it has to become a practice are a lifestyle. It has to become part of something that I live by, that I am involved in, but I don't just talk about it. I live by example what I say I believe. What made the first church so incredibly powerful 
was that they didn't just believe it, they started living it. And in living it, they started having fellowship one with another. Several years ago, 2008, I guess 10 years ago now, we had a hurricane. We decided to ride it out at the end of all the loud noise, the howling winds. About 7 o'clock the next morning, I walk out the back door of my house. And when I open my back door and walk out into my backyard and I look around, I can see blocks this direction. I can see blocks this direction. I can see, I, I can see things I hadn't seen before. There wasn't a fence standing up in my neighborhood. Not one. They were all on the ground. Well, I'm standing here in my backyard and the way our our block lays out, the, the houses, there's a street just beyond my house, and all those houses back, they turn sideways to my house. And so the second house touches my backyard, and, and a gentleman walked out the back door of his house the same time I'm walking out, and we start a conversation. And we were looking at the damage, and I've got stuff in the swimming pool, I've got place things laying on the yard, and and we're looking around, and we're, we're talking about how much damage has happened to our homes. And and I don't know why I asked, but I, I said, I introduced myself to it. Now, I'd lived there 12, 14 years at that time. And in 12 or 14 years, I had never seen that man, not one time. I didn't see him in his yard I didn't see him at the mailbox at the end of my driveway. I had never seen this gentleman one time in the 14 or 15 years that we had lived there. And so I introduced myself, and he tells me what his name was. He happened to be the postmaster for the city of Pearland, and, and we started a conversation. And, and then I said, how long have you lived here? And he had lived there one year longer than I'd lived in my house. And I didn't know him. It took removing fences to give us the ability to even connect. Now, I, we see him all the time. I, I carry on conversation with him because now I know who he is. But our world has isolated us to the point we have no connection with people. We think it's for the protection of our homes and our children. But in Fencing things in, you keep things out. You do protect what's inside your fence, but you keep out stuff that could have a positive effect on your life. And that's what's happening in our world. That first church took their fences down. Now, before Jesus died on the cross, if you look at the history of Israel and what's going on in their life, Israel was one of the most chaotic places you could ever even imagine living. The story of the, uh, of the parable of the Good Samaritan, what did you about what Gentiles do to Gentiles? It's a story about what the Jewish people were doing to Jewish people. They were so divided. They were so many different groups. There were the Essenes, the Zealots, the Herodians. There, there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You, you just, everybody had their own little group. And they had become so isolated, they had nothing in common. They didn't trust one another. They didn't have faith in each other. They didn't interact with each other. They were isolated. And in their isolation, only one possibility arises. When humans become isolated. And that possibility that arises, it's really not a possibility. It's an absolute. The instant you get isolated from someone, in instant of time, your brain is going to be safe. And so to protect you, it instantly starts causing you to protect yourself. And so when you lose the ability to connect, its replacement is suspicion. 
I can't read your mind. I have no clue how you think. I don't have a clue what your feelings are. Without a conversation, without people interacting, we don't even know if we're on the same page. We can all actually come to church. And if you look at the church world today and you want to see how dysfunctional the church world is, look how long it takes to empty the church when service is over. Well, in a matter of 15 or 20 minutes, place is vacant. Nobody's there. They all come together and they think because we're together, we're in fellowship. We belong to the body, but that's not fellowship. See, fellowship is when you sit down together and when people start interacting together and when they start interacting together, then change starts taking place. We're not paranoid of each other. We're not trying to figure out what they're after, what they want, or what, what what's their next desire. What, what, are, what are they trying to, to, to do, or what's the purpose behind what they're doing? And we let suspicion become the driving force in our life. And the instant suspicion shows up, it's really kind of hard to live by faith. You quit living by faith, and you start living by suspicion. And everybody's got an agenda or everybody's got something they're after and instead of interacting and relating. And that's where our world's at today. Now, if we as the body of Christ are not careful, we can let the world's influence start changing us. As I travel throughout the world and I meet people it's it's really interesting if if I can go to a city and stay there for just a couple of days and, and just watch people and, and 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 watch their interaction and then go to church. It's it, it's amazing that the same characteristics of the people that I'm watching shows up in the church. See the problem with the seven churches of Revelations was that they lived in their cities so long that they started taking on the nature of their city. Laodicea, thou art rich and crisp with goods and have need of nothing. Laodicea was struck by an earthquake somewhere around 78 to 83 or 84 A.D. and literally destroyed the entire city. Now, Laodicea was a very wealthy city and was proud to be a Roman providence. Because of their connection to Rome and, and, and their pledge of faithfulness to Rome, Rome never stationed one group of soldiers in the city of Laodicea. They were proud to become part of the Roman Empire and pledged allegiance to it, paid their tithes or their taxes and, and, and sent people to Rome to, to participate in business or uh, in, in the government of Rome. When the earthquake comes and the city is leveled, Rome hears about what happened at Laodicea. And so they send a message to Laodicea. You've been faithful. You, you paid your taxes. You, you've always been supportive. We've never had to send soldiers there to, to, to put down a rebellion of any kind. And as a result of that, we decided in the Senate, we want to help you rebuild your city. Whatever you need, you just tell us. We'll send the men, we'll send the money, we'll send supplies, whatever you need. Just let us know we're ready to help whenever you need us. And Laodicea sends a message back and says, oh, thank you. That's okay. We can take care of this ourselves." Well, that attitude showed up in the church. Thou rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. If we're not careful, the world we live in starts affecting our interactions, our relationships. You know, just get on the freeway and, and watch people drive. Then compare that way they drive to their interactions with people. They interact with people the same way they drive on the freeway. Then watch them come to church. 
and we can be curt. We, we can say things and, and, and we can hurt people's feelings. Boy, it's quiet. You can live in your world long enough that your world starts affecting you. Fellowship is what kept the world out and the church in. But fellowship can't happen without me letting somebody else in my life. The fact is, I need you. You may not need me, but I need you. Because without you as the support of my life, it's real easy to start getting paranoid about people. Especially when you hear the stuff I hear. You can really get paranoid about people real quick if you're not careful. But it's fellowship. It's interaction with people that lets us know, wait a minute, everybody's not like that. You, you get to hearing bad stories and that's all the, the news reports. So you get to thinking everybody's like that. Remember the flood last summer and what the world was saying about humans at the time that, that, that humans were, were, they didn't trust nobody, they didn't like each other. Then all of a sudden we have a flood here and what do humans start doing? They started helping each other. They, they started interacting with each other. I, I remember the first day the HEB opened and we had to stand in line about an hour and a half just getting the store. It was still raining and the wind was still blowing and, and, People brought umbrellas, they passed out water. People brought a ice chest, they brought lawn chairs and sat and they talked and interacted and we got in the store and, and Leanne, we, we're going down the aisle and she had her list and she said, okay, we need this next. And there's a guy beside us, overheard us. And, and he said, that's on aisle 13. Now when I went through there a while ago, there wasn't very many of those left and I got two. If there's not any on the shelf when you get there, come and find me. I'll give you one of mine. See, that's, that's what happens when we get rid of walls. That's what happens when the fences disappear in our life and, and we get the fences down and we start learning how to interact. The healthiest sign of a church is how early people get there and how long they stay afterwards. They like being around each other. A healthy church is defined by the interaction, not just to the preached word, but the interaction of the preached word as the lived word, as we start connecting and relating and, and, and touching people's lives. See, my ability to communicate defines my ability to trust. So without fellowship, trust is gone. When I lose this connection called fellowship, any anybody here, let's just see how old we really are. Anybody here had the Holy Ghost over 40 years? Quite a few of us. 50 years. Thirty years. Now, I remember as a kid, we had two meetings a month that us kids dreaded. The reason we dreaded them was they went on and on and on and on and on and on. They then start at 730, but they were never over before midnight. Never. Now, sometimes you might have to drive two hours to get there. So that means you're going to drive two hours when it's over to get home. But that didn't keep us from staying. What were those things called? Home. They were called what? Fellowship meetings. Then they had one for the youth. And everybody came. We didn't send the youth off to a room by themselves and they just did their own thing. All the adults showed up. We had fellowship. If I can't talk to you, I don't know what you're about. I, I, I don't have the ability to understand your, your passions, your desires, 
your goals. I, I, I can't connect with anything that's happening in your life without having conversation. Now, preaching would last till at least 10.30 or 11. At least. Now, the good thing about a youth service, it was Friday night. So we didn't have to get up the next morning and go to school. So the, those usually lasted at 1 o'clock in the morning. After service was over, then everybody went to the fellowship. Just pimento cheese. And we had bologna sandwiches, pimento cheese sandwiches, ham and cheese sandwiches. We had chips. Uh, no... I don't remember anybody ever getting salmonella poisoning. But everything that was back there that was left unrefrigerated for the whole length of service, everybody should have. But my Bible kind of indicates God's going to take care of us if we got the thing in order correctly and we don't have to be paranoid about everything. I've eaten stuff I don't even know about. I've had a little bit of monkey and lizard tail and, and, and... If you're going to be a missionary and go to other countries, then you're going to learn to eat what they eat when they put it on the table in front of you. And, and, and you don't ask, you just eat it. And, you know, fungus tastes kind of like rubber, but <laughs> the Chinese love it. So you, you just, you learn, and, and, and God's promise is he keeps. They shall Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall. Mark gives us a list of what's going to happen to the, the, but we don't do it intentionally. It's not something you go out to do. It's God protects. We had fellowship. We talked to preachers. As a result, there wasn't a roving church. All the preachers knew each other. We all knew each other. There wasn't this. Maybe I don't need to go there. Product of the lack of fellowship. We don't have interaction. And the moment I can't fellowship with you or I can't have conversations with you, then suspicion's going to show up. And when suspicion hangs around a little while, it produces a fruit. And the fruit of suspicion is fear. If you let fear hang around long enough, it'll start producing anxiety, panic attacks, phobias. All kinds of junk start showing up as a result of just letting fear hang around. How do you get fear out of your life? It only happens by connecting with people. Even though it's the hardest thing for humans to do, and it goes all the way to the garden, the next place you see is the Tower of Babel. Humans have had this problem of connecting correctly. But it's the church that gives us an identity because we all become members in particular. We all become part of a body organism, and each of us has our own role. And as the the body gathers and every part shows up, then the body functions correctly. And when the body is functioning correctly and there's no fear, there's there's no suspicion, then numbers start adding to the church because God knows the place is safe enough for people to show up without getting their lives wrecked. Now, this Bible emphatically declares on a regular basis that God added daily, not man. I remember the summer my mom was terminally ill and we didn't really know it. In June, I don't understand why. She became incredibly paranoid. We don't understand why. She was afraid of everything. She asked the question, do you think I'm going to go to heaven? She was afraid. And so the response was, well, why 
don't you think you're going to go to heaven? And my mother's response was, because I've heard preached all my life, that if I don't win somebody to the Lord, I'm not going to heaven. When they come and told me that, it tormented me. Here's a lady that the instant she got the Holy Ghost in, in I think, 1948, became a servant of the Lord. She loved the Lord. She never wanted anything to do with the world. What she came out of, she wanted no part of. She didn't try to drag it into our lives. She discovered an incredible relationship that changed her life. And here at the end of her life, she's terrified that, that she's not going to make heaven. The response of the person who she asked the question was, well, Grandma, um, how many kids you have? She had five. How many of them have the Holy Ghost? Five. Now, up until a year before that, it had only been four. But the Mother's Day the year before, the oldest one come to church here and got the Holy Ghost. He had been away from the Lord for over 50 years. And she had prayed and said, God has promised me that he will come back to the Lord before I die. And Mother's Day the year before, he showed up, went to church, came here, prayed back through the Holy Ghost. He's the one that got my whole family in church to start with. And so now there's five. Well, Father's Day of that year, he took his wife to church up in Sulphur Springs, and she got the Holy Ghost. So he says, how many of your daughter-in-laws have the Holy Ghost or son-in-laws? Well, five. How many grandkids you have? I think 38. How many of them have the Holy Ghost? All of them that's old enough to have it? He said, Grandma, I think you did a good job. Now, when he, when I'm hearing this message, it's, it causes me some problems. How is it that someone who's been faithful gets to the point where they don't think they're going to heaven? And the Lord took me to the book of Corinthians and it says, some plant, some water, but, but what? James gives the increase. Mark gives the increase. But all we can do is introduce people to Jesus. He's the one who wins them. We don't. We have no nail prints in our hands. We didn't hang on a cross. I am not a soul winner. I introduce people to Jesus. He is the soul winner. He is the one that changes people's lives. Not me. He is the one who causes all these things to happen in our life. And when we get fellowship intact, all these fears disappear. All the junk goes away because we're not trying to figure out what's she after. What's he trying to do now? He's never acted like this. He, he really wants something. He's, he's got to be up to something. And you just let suspicion start in your life and trust is gone instantly. And when you can't trust somebody, you will never touch them. And the three signs of a healthy family is they talk, they trust, and they touch. If this is God's family, the three signs that this family is healthy is the ability for this family to carry on conversations with one another and enjoy being in each other's presence. And the more you can talk to somebody, the more you'll trust them. And the more you trust, there will come a point where you don't mind the touch and you'll shake their hand or you'll hug their neck as a result. You won't shake hands with somebody you don't trust. This won't do it. It's fellowship. It's what keeps this church alive and active and thriving. And without it, the church starts suffering. All you got to do is look at the denominal world. Their numbers are not increasing. Their numbers are decreasing rapidly. Their buildings closed up. Go to England. 
Dra- travel through the cities of England and look at how many churches are boarded up or how many. When you look at them, you recognize that was a church building, but now it's a pub or a bar. They're disappearing. People don't need church. Is that they don't need God? No. They're still going to try to talk about God. But church lost its ability to connect. And when it becomes cold and dead, then people don't want to be part of it. And they'll come for a while, then they just start drifting away. And then all of a sudden, the church doesn't have the power that it had before because it lost its ability to fellowship. They went from house to house doing what? Breaking bread. Now, my Bible says that one man can put a thousand to flight. And two men can put how many to flight? How many? Ten thousand. What can three men put together? Hundred thousand. Where's that? Well, that's those three lepers caused a hundred thousand man army to run back and kill each other. And three lepers just come walking in the camp and God took the sound of their footsteps and amplified it and destroyed the whole Syrian army as a result of just three men. Well, if that's true, for every man you put a zero, what would happen if three men in this church decided they were going to connect and fellowship and do it on a regular basis and make sure that on a regular basis they get together, they, they, they talk about their lives and, and, and talk about the church and, and they create this fellowship. What happens if you get three? What would happen if you got four together? How many is four going to put to flight? Put another zero. What is that? Is that a million? What happens if just five men could really connect or five ladies? Don't have to be men. What happened? Just five people get truly connected to God and to each other. What do you think is going to happen? How many are they going to affect? Put another zero. So what do you have now? Ten million. What's the population of Houston? Somewhere between six and seven million. It's not ten. It takes five men or women in fellowship to turn this entire city upside down. God don't need numbers. He just needs people to get united and connected together. And when we get united and connected together, what happens? What if you get six men? Now you've got a hundred million. What if I can get seven men? I've got a billion. What if I get just eight connected people? How many do I get? Ten billion people. How many people in the world? Seven billion. It takes eight connected people to change the entire world. But the only way that happens is fellowship. The only way that we start affecting the people around us is when people see we trust each other. We like hanging out with each other. We like being around each other. We, we like interacting with each other. If we're just as isolated as everybody else is, then they're going to look and say, well, you know, they're not any different than the rest of them. You know, if, if they got to get away as quickly as possible. And, you know, I've been to churches where they have to keep flipping the light switch. That's just a sign people, someone needs to clean up. <laughs> That's not a bad sign. That's the most healthy sign that a church has is it just likes connecting to people. Now, 
I'm not a really outgoing person. That's, that's not my nature. I'm an introverted person. But it, it, I, I can be an isolated person. But I still like connecting to people. It doesn't matter how introverted I am. And I, I, I pegged this bottom corner of this chart. I've, I've given myself tests. I'm, <laughs> you can't get any more introverted than this guy is. But I still like people. I still need people. Because God took out of me something that I don't have anymore. And as a result, I gotta have other people. And when I get other people in my life, my life starts changing. Please stand. Gracious Father, First, let me thank you for your incredible word. Even in the smallest of details, volumes are spoken. We can read your word, put it down, pick it up, read it again, and a totally new revelation happens because your word is so powerful. It's still alive and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the dividing of sunder of soul, powerful spirit, discern of thought and intent. There's nothing more powerful than your word. Thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for putting in your word. Thank you that under the inspiration of your spirit, holy men of old wrote as they were moved on by your spirit. They didn't have to give us the volumes of details. They just only needed to give us a few details. And in those details, we see your incredible ability to work in our lives. You create the most powerful mechanism that has ever existed. It's alive. That is your church. And you've equipped us with every resource that we could possibly need. Resources we don't have to have money to get. Resources we don't have to have others to teach us how. You put it in every one of us. All of us have these incredible abilities that you placed in our lives because we're made in your image and you gave us your creative nature. And as a result of that creative nature that you put inside of us, You give us this incredible ability to create, to connect, and to see our world as you see it. The only way we can do that is to have fellowship with you. But I I have to have more than just fellowship with you, Jesus. I need fellowship with the other humans of my life that help my life to become better. They encourage me to go higher, to dig deeper, to not be satisfied, to just get by, to be common or ordinary. They challenge me to be the vessel of honor you created me to be. Your word tells us to provoke one another to love. Our abilities to be together will cause a need in others' lives to express love, to be affected by love. God, I thank you for your word and for your church. Lord, I pray today that we as your body would understand the purpose of this body. When this body comes together, it becomes the hospital for the world to come to and find healing for the brokenness that life has produced in their life. When the body comes together, It has the ability to change lives. It can lay hands on the sick and they recover. Lives can be transformed. Lives can be delivered from all kinds of things. But when the body is together and we become the individual members in particular of this body, that's when this body functions the best, when we can connect, not as a whole, but as individuals with people and we connect in their lives, not really knowing the influence our life has on them. We may never know what battle they may have fought today, but you do. 
And when you put us together as your body, when we have fellowship, your spirit will always cause us to say the right thing or to do the right thing to help that one who struggled today to be able to face the next day because the body is working in harmony and we're bringing healing and producing healing for our world. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people today. Lord, I, I pray isolated. Have I built ask ourselves some questions about have I become isolated? Have I built fences in my life to keep things out? But in doing so, I've, I've kept a lot of other people out of my life that, that could have been an influence. Maybe I need to do something about my fence so that I don't keep out the people I need in my life. Or I pray that revelation would happen. Would you let your spirit step in the pulpit of our hearts and preach to us? You know our hearts. I don't know the hearts of men, but you do. So, God, I'm praying that you would step in the pulpit of our hearts tonight and you would begin to preach. Would you preach to us, Jesus? Wherever conviction needs to come, let it come. Wherever words of encouragement need to be spoken, give it to the heart of someone today who's not afraid to share those words with someone who may need them dearly tonight. Let us minister to one another as the body of Christ in the name of Jesus. Would you worship him for just a moment? Jesus, we worship you. We bless you today. We bless you today. We bless you today. We bless you today, Jesus. You are worthy today. You are worthy today. Now, I challenge you to do a little fellowship before you leave here tonight. Let's put into practice what this word is really all about. That's what we're here for, isn't it? The Lord bless you. You're you're dismissed. Please don't leave without at least connecting to two or three people before you leave. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed.